Hey everyone, and welcome back to another week here on the Foundry Church Podcast. We upload a new message here every week, so if you want to be notified every time one of those go up, make sure to subscribe. You can also keep up with us throughout the week on our Facebook page. Just search the Foundry Church. With all that said, let's continue with our series called Listen. So we're diving in today into part three of our series on prophecy. And today what we're really diving into is imagery. We're going to talk about some of the vivid, sometimes stark imagery that is given to us by the prophets. We're going to look specifically in the life of Ezekiel. We'll spend a little bit of time in uh, the Gospel of John. But really what this is doing is you heard it today in the songs, Come Alive right? This idea of coming alive. And sometimes the church sits back on its heels and thinks some religious action or behavior will save it. And I want to say, it doesn't. You are brought alive by Christ for a purposeful living. It's not a series of things we do. It's how we respond to the Word of God in Christ Jesus and live in that, in that tension of A life that was dead in sin coming alive. It's a little bit like when you play the prank of pulling up behind a semi that's being towed and it's being towed backwards and you get up close to it and you kind of tap the brakes and scream and your sleeping passenger wakes up and they're like, ah, and then you're like, and then they beat you and cry, and it ruins the rest of the road trip. Um, But that, because they're not going back to sleep. Like they're sitting there and they're all shaky and stuff because you scared them, you brought them to life. Sometimes the imagery God uses brings us to life because it's stark, because it's maybe really vivid or it just paints a picture in our mind that is shocking. I invite you, tune your ear and listen as we go into Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, 
I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So we find ourselves in Ezekiel 37 having this kind of wild vision. He's having a vision that God gave him of something extraordinary, full of imagery. And what we have to do is understand that he's speaking of heavenly things, of things that only heaven can do. And what we realize in this is that God chooses to speak through visions and dreams. He chooses to do so. In Numbers chapter 12, we see a situation where um, Aaron and Miriam are called before God. Now, think of it this way. Aaron is Moses' older brother. Miriam, in the story of Moses being put into the Nile in that little basket, which was covered in pitch, she was the little girl kind of sneaking through the reeds, watching, and jumped out and said to the Egyptian princess, I know an Egyptian nursemaid who will take care of him. That's who Miriam is, Aaron and Miriam, Moses' his older siblings. They get called to the front of the tent of meeting in Numbers chapter 12 by God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a kind of a perennial guilty complex, and when I get called by any authority figure to an office, I just like, I remember like the teacher would be like, Eric, you have to go to the office. I would clean up my things, and I'd be like, children, it's been good knowing you. Apparently, I'm going to the clink. Like, always felt very guilty. Can you imagine what it was like when God summoned Aaron and Miriam, I mean, you'd just be like, what did Moses tell him? Like, you'd be so scared. It'd be so overwhelming. But God calls to them, and he comes down in a pillar of cloud. And listen to what God says, because this tells us that God's not just communicating to someone you know, like, this is how I'm going to talk. He's communicating to all of us, and he's declaring in the first person, this is how I speak. Then the Lord came down on a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent. He summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will reveal myself to them in visions. I will speak to them in dreams. I will speak that way. I will choose to make my plans and what the matter on my heart is known to them by this way. So we know that God speaks in visions and dreams, much like the vision Ezekiel had. We can see that there's visions and dreams. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had a dream that was so real but so vivid, like maybe you wake up and you smack your husband? I can't believe you did that. And you're like, sleep? I'm kind of confused. Anybody? All right. Maybe only Erica and I have weird dreams. Um, My spider dream was awesome when I was climbing the walls one time. I'm like, there's a huge spider because I hate them. Super vivid. Terrified me. And Eric's like, there's no spider. And then I woke up. I was like, oh, my shame is upon me. I, I didn't like it, right? It was terrible, but it was really vivid. God speaks in these things. There's other dreamers in Scripture. There's Joseph, the son of Jacob. There's Jacob who saw a vision of the ladder, Jacob's ladder, when he was sleeping next to the river Jabrook. There's Daniel who we'll talk about next week, and make sure you grab your devotions as you go today. We're talking about Daniel. Make sure you get those on the way out. But he was a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams. There's Joseph, Mary's fiance. The angel Gabriel came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child that she will bear is from me. So we know that God speaks in this. 
And you may think, okay, maybe only in the Old Testament was it confusing. Maybe once when Jesus got on the scene and he began to speak some prophetic words that um, they just understood. There's a story in John chapter 3 of a guy named Nicodemus. He's one of the Pharisees, one of the scholars of Israel. And he comes to Jesus when Jesus had told him something. We're kind of going backwards with this, but he comes to Jesus and just asks after a teaching, how can this be? And Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel. You're the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you this, and we testify to what we have seen and what we know, but still, you people don't, test, don't accept our testimony. You don't accept what we're doing. Jesus said to him, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you haven't understood them. How then will you understand if I start talking about heavenly things? When we start talking about heavenly things, we start talking about a matter that is close to the heart of God, the word of God coming to us, declaring what um, is closest to his heart, what his deepest desire is. So then we start talking about hearts of stone, rattling bones, and rebirth. Let's spend time in a few different stories in Ezekiel and John 3, because if we look at these and we understand the imagery we get a glimpse of the imagery and then understand the heart of God, maybe it'll make a little more sense. Ezekiel 36 says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Not too much needed for interpretation on that. I will cleanse you from all impurities and I will cleanse you from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Like, think of that. That is like just radically outside the boundaries of, of what they understand. We live in an era where there can be a heart transplant. This is Ezekiel. Hundreds of years before Christ. How could they understand? And maybe we should have a little sympathy because you can look at Scripture and be like, how didn't they get it? Right? So maybe let's do this. Anybody know who George Washington is? Yeah, of course you do. He's the awesome first president of the United States, right? And he was the leader of the Continental Army. And, um, and so what we can do is just imagine this. Let's imagine we bring George Washington here to present-day America in his awesome blue uniform, and we take him to an IMAX theater, and we put him a big bucket of popcorn. This is delicious popcorn. And, like, sit him down. Box of Sour Patch Kids, he's hurt my wooden teeth. Like, it's awesome, right? And then we, boom, put Star Wars on there. And he'd be like, what happened? Why is there a Yeti flying a spaceship? You know? And then Darth Vader comes on. Is this the King of England? Like, he would have, he would imagine, he wouldn't be able to fully understand. And then imagine when they go to hyperspace, if you're not a nerd like me, you should be, it's awesome. Um, but like when they, when they go to light speed and the stars go by, can you imagine, like, oh, what happened to them? Did that furry thing fly in the spaceship? Did that kill him? Like, can you imagine how, and then you take him out, you give him some Mike and Ikes, milk duds, and send him back to Valley Forge and say, tell your, your commanders about that. Can you imagine him sitting down? Around this roasted duck, I would like to tell you of a long, long time ago, there's a steel falcon and a hooky that flies it. I mean, how would he explain it to him? 
And you would think like, well, of course that's not fair. He hadn't lived in this age. To you and I, we're like, it's just kind of an amazing story. And it's a lot of fun. It's Star Wars. We know it. It's a cultural thing. But to him, it's just how would he ever explain like, put on your fancy glasses, Benjamin Franklin. I have a tail. Right? He would have a hard time telling them how would he explain the imagery? How would he explain outer space? How would he explain all these things? It would be hard for him to do. That is what the prophets had to deal with. A difficult task explaining these heavenly visions that God's explaining through them and telling through them. And of course their imagery is vivid and it seems really wild. But when you look at it through the lens of like what we just talked about, you can have a little compassion. Because how do you put words to such amazing things? I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and obey my laws. Think about this. When Ezekiel said this, the spirit of God dwelled between the cherubim on the mercy seat and the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. How could they ever imagine the spirit of God inhabiting someone? But that's what God did for us in Christ. So we look at this and we say, wow, that is vivid imagery. It is vivid imagery. In Ezekiel chapter 37, the following chapter, you just heard it. Can you imagine with me what that would be like? When, when you talk about like a valley of bones, there actually is one. The German 6th Army besieged Stalingrad. When they attacked Russia and went in um, Operation Barbosa, the German 6th Army attacked Stalingrad and literally were ground to powder. The destruction of the German Army Group Central 6th Army absolutely wiped out 285,000 accounted for soldiers dead in the field. And if you go back to Stalingrad today and you go to the outskirts, you will see fields with bones. And it's not because the cows died. They're human bones. They're human bones, and they litter a field. Now, for Jewish people, to be around bones would be unclean because they're dead. But nobody looks at a pile of bones and says, maybe we should do CPR. I think we can get him back, right? That'd be weird. That'd be really weird. But what does God say? Son of man, speak to the bones. Speak to the bones. Prophesy to them. And so Ezekiel begins to speak, and then he hears the most amazing thing. He hears a rattling sound. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm half chicken when it comes to skeletons. I don't like them. They upset me. They're all bones. I don't like them, right? Can you imagine when they're like, clack, 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 and then they stood up? I'd be like, deuces. I'm out. I'm done. This is weird. It's creepy. I don't like it. But not only that, he's saying prophesy over them. And then tendons appear and muscle appears. And then the skin covers them and they stand before him. And God says, son of man, prophesy to the breath. Now get this, church. The breath. In Greek, it's pneuma. In Hebrew, it's ruach. To us, it's the spirit of God. The wind of God prophesied to the Spirit of God to move in these bones, to move into these bodies, and suddenly life filled them. Remember in Genesis when God breathed the breath of life into Adam, that's what we're talking about. Brand new God-given life. 
from a valley of dry bones, new life and new purpose. And then we can look at John chapter 3 when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, the, the conversation that preceded the one we heard earlier. When Jesus had been doing a teaching and he said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must be born again. To which Nicodemus was like, that's super weird, man. So he's a Pharisee, but he can't really be seen associating with Jesus. So he goes over and he has kind of a quiet, dark alley meeting with him. And he says, look, Rabbi, I know that you're from God. I know you were sent by God. No one could do what you're doing if they weren't from God. But here's the deal. Do I have to like go back in the womb to be born again? By the way, my mom said, please, no. But anyway, right? Do I have, think of it. He's a literalist. He's sitting there going, how can I be born again? This is impossible for human beings. How can this happen? How can I get a new heart? If you're in Ezekiel, how can the dry bones live? Here's what we understand about imagery. When God gives us such stark or such vivid, such forceful imagery, he's actually doing something. And I guarantee for some of us in this room, these stories have landed in a soft spot in us. And you hear the story of a heart of stone being softened and made new and the spirit of God filling you and something inside you says, I want to hear more about that. You heard about the dry bones, a lifelong dead, a life void and left out in a field to bleach out and rot. And you think, no, I want some of that when God brings it back to life. You hear about rebirth and you realize the life you're living isn't enough and I want those baptismal promises that I'm put into the death of Christ so that I'm reborn into the life of Christ and something in you tingles, something in you feels it and you want to know that this is for you. Do you know why these resonate with us? Do you know why we as people sit here and go, tell me that story again even though it's a little weird, I want to hear it again. Do you know why? Because it is the matter that is closest to the heart of God. You and I receiving a new heart. You and I in our death being remade into the image of Christ. You and I reborn by the power of God and his spirit through the cross of Christ. Amen. That we don't have to live by our own power, but God promises in prophecy. And it speaks. The word of God speaks from Ezekiel, from Jesus, even into this place today. The word of God indeed is living. It's active. But here's the reality. Imagery can be confusing. Imagery and prophecy can be confusing. Scripture often explains it. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't know about you, but I know for me as a person, I tend to avoid Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation. I know you're like, you're a pastor. I'm like, I know, but it's hard for me. I have wicked ADD, and I really like to get chasing the tangents, or I just don't understand the vision or the picture, so I avoid it. I've been intimidated by these books before. I thought they were awesome when I was a new Christian. As I matured, I realized I didn't belong in those waters, but that was a deception as well. I belong there because God spoke it. God declared it. Whether or not I read or study them, whether or not you read or study them, does not affect this. It does not affect whether or not they're true. And we as a church and a culture need to hear this, that God's word never returns void. He will accomplish what he said, and he has spoken, and he will accomplish it. Our belief or acceptance of his word doesn't determine whether or not it's true. He does 
In the start of Revelation, declare something. Jesus says to John the Revelator, blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who take to heart what is written in it. So it tells us this. There are things we can know about the prophetic working of God in and among our present day and age. First thing is this. The Lord will achieve his purposes whether or not we believe his prophets. The Lord will achieve his purposes whether or not you and I believe it. Anybody here ever see uh, Elf, the movie? Every hand should go up, right? Yeah, of course you saw Elf. So let's just get a picture of maybe some of our modern day theology in America. There's a scene where Santa at the end of this movie is scraping through Central Park with much winded reindeer trying to get off the ground. The rocket attached to Santa's sleigh has been knocked off and he needed a rocket because the beliefometer just wasn't as strong anymore. And so he's like, oh, and Zoe Deschanel, this, this actress, gets up and she has this awesome kind of back of the throat voice and she stands up bravely in front of everyone. She goes, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pound. I'm t- and then a crowd about your size did what you're doing to me. Poor girl. You're like, why is that happening, right? Trust me, we get there. Then a few people are like, Santa Claus is coming. And the beliefometer goes and starts ticking up. And then people start singing more, you know, with a little bit more of an august presence. And they start really singing, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's. And they're really getting into it. And the belief-o-meter's ticking up. But there's a hard-hearted publisher, father of Buddy the Elf. And no, he's not going to sing. He's too good for this. There's no way. Finally, he can't take it. And he's like, Santa Claus is coming to town. And the belief-o-meter pings to 100. The sleigh takes off because people believe. That is not scripture. It doesn't matter if you believe it, it's just true. God is not like Santa's sleigh. He doesn't need you to believe for it all to work, or else this would be a crazy garbage fire. He doesn't need your belief for his word to come true. God simply is. It's not up for debate. He is the truth, your truth, my truth somebody else's truth, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Truth is not subjective. God is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. There is just truth. It's not rooted in our feelings. It's not rooted in how we like something. It is simply true. If I got pulled over for doing 55 in a 20, which maybe has happened, um, so if I got pulled over and the cop said, you were doing 55 in a 20, and I said, you know, that's your truth. My truth says, I'm thinking 32. And he says, here's your ticket. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't feel true to me. And he would ask the question, you want to ride back in the back of my car or just shut up and pay it? Right? Because my truth doesn't really matter. I'm holding the truth. He nailed me for what I was doing wrong, right? Right, that, that would be the, the arrogance of our subjective belief about truth. Like we can just be like, well, I mean, yeah, maybe God created it that way, but I don't know if that's my truth. When Moses asked God, who shall I tell Pharaoh sent me to kind of confront you and set my people free, God made a declaration of identity, and it was this, tell him that I am who I am sent me. Whether you believe it or not, I am. Whether you like it or not, I am. Whether we accept the truth or deny it doesn't change its present reality. His being will make matters complete. But here's the 
best part of it. I love this aspect of it. He didn't just say, I'm going to force this thing through. He invited you and I. Remember Ezekiel 36? I will fill you with my spirit. I will give you a new heart. I will let you play a role in redemption's story if you will receive me on my terms, not yours. He invites us to it. His being will make matters complete. His generous spirit, his mercy, and his grace invite you to be a part of it. How good is God? So we can look at prophecy and know that God will achieve his purposes whether or not we believe his prophets. We also know that prophets show the mercy and the love of God. The prophets show the mercy and love of God. Yes, the imagery is strange. Sometimes there's confusing images, but the heart of the matter, the matter closest to God, is to communicate to his people that they are far from him and he wants them to come home. That is the heart of the message. A prophecy may contain some images you find adverse, alarming, or even scary, and it's not because God's mean. It's simply because he wants your attention and he wants you not to be afraid of him, but to be afraid of life without him to be afraid of life apart from him. The warning God gives us is out of love. I want you to imagine a scene with me, a big green field, let's think coast of Ireland, with a 1,200-foot sheer cliff on an edge. And Erica and I are out there playing catch, because we like to play catch in Ireland. Don't judge. And um, she steps back, and she just, she rockets one, just like Peyton Manning. Oh, my goodness. And I take off running, and I am quick. Think Odell Beckham Jr. with some, extra weight in a middle-aged body, whoosh, and I'm going, you know, and just, it's just chariots of fire, and I'm locked on the ball, singularly focused, and I'm running full speed. Meanwhile, I hear screaming, stop, stop, and I'm like, I'm not going to stop. I'm about to Odell this thing, and you're going to see what kind of man you married, and I jump up, right, and she's like, stop, and right before I jump, i just like, what, and the ball goes off the cliff. I was about to have a moment that would have not only been amazing, by the way, I would have caught the ball, um, but it would be like, whose house, right? And off you go into eternity because you won't stop out of a cry of love. Stop. Stop, not because I don't want you to be, you know, like I'm against you being awesome, because I'm against you being dead. God doesn't want us spiritually dead. He's saying stop. That's the image of the prophets, He sees us running towards an eternity of death separated from him, and he says, stop. So church, we at the Foundry have these things we call plumb lines. We use them in staff, and we work together so that our plumb lines help us navigate the rules of the road, the jobs we do well. Think of it like this. Our values give us kind of the freeway. We know if we're going east or west. But our plumb lines are the lane lines, and that keeps you running in line. One of them, if you're in groups, you heard this this week, uh, uh, clarity over creativity. If we have a really creative idea, but it muddies the message of the gospel, we scrap the creative idea, and we stay true to the gospel right? Plan in pencil. That's another one because things have to change. Things have to move sometimes. So we plan in pencil. We're flexible and we're mobile. If God wants us to respond, we try to be nimble. There's another plumb line that I think is good. And as you begin to understand and study prophecy, I would like you to take this and write this down. Stick it in your Bible and hold on to it. It's our plumb line here at the foundry. I think it'll help you stay tuned into the matter that is on the heart of God and not get distracted by imagery. The plumb line is this, message over mystery. 
we always go back to the heart of the message over mystery. I'm not wondering what kind of stone, was it limestone that their hearts had turned into that God replaced? It's not what I'm wondering. I'm not sitting there going, was it femurs for bones or more like, you know, that little pelvic, pelvic wing thing? What was it? I'm not wondering those things. I'm asking God, what's your message in this? That God's going to do a miraculous work in our hearts. That God's going to do a miraculous work by raising up what it seems dry, dead, um, lifeless things. I, we have to look at the message and not get caught up in the mystery. And it's hard because those mysteries are kind of tantalizing to our ears. But we have to look for the heart of the matter and not get fixated on the imagery or what it could mean. I had a friend of mine, very good friend of mine, uh, call me up. This was 2014. And he said, hey, I had a dream about you, and I want to share it, to which I just love how God works sometimes. And I'm like, all right, tell me. He said, here's the thing. There was a raging storm at sea. It was just, it was the ocean. It was whoosh, and it was powerful, and it was strong, and it was just, it was raging is all he could say. And he said, but in the raging storm, there was like a tunnel, like, you know, you go through the shark thing, uh, the shark tube, and like SeaWorld, kind of like that, but it was very small, and you write, you go through that, and you were walking down that tube, and it was real narrow, and you just had to stay focused, because if you got off course, you were in the storm, but God was protecting you through it, and I was like, oh, that's fascinating, that was fascinating at that time. God was doing a corrective work in my life. He was shattering arrogance, self-sufficiency, and a sense of entitlement that I had. And God was doing something that was very painful, a storm of my making, but actually I think it was a storm of God's making because he would alter my relationship to him forever through this. I had to trust him and take the next faithful step and not get distracted by the storm and walk step after step. The foundry had just started. We started with 110 people. I applied all my education, all my passion, and all my skill, and I grew it directly to 21. It was kind of a failure. And then God, through that storm, worked something out in me. And I had to stay focused. And I praise God for that word in my life that said, just take the next obedient step in Christ wasn't real pretty, wasn't real easy, but I can tell you this, anything that ever goes on here, I am owed zero credit because he created a storm that taught me to trust in a God who sees bigger. We can't get lost in the imagery. It would have been fun to say, you know, was the water cold in this storm? Hey, Kurt, was, um, what, like, what color was it? Was I in fresh water because you can drink that? But, you know, was it briny? Like, what was it? What color? I didn't ask, hey, Kurt, were there sharks and did they have name tags and did they look hungry towards a, a kind of little heavier middle-aged guy? Was there, no, I didn't ask that. I stayed on message. And the message was this. God not only knows the storm, he's in the storm and he's calling you to trust that he will protect you and guide you through. That his calling on your life isn't void and he hasn't walked away. I needed to walk in obedience. So I leaned in to the message that God was making away through a very hard storm. And what he did is he chipped away, hammered away, and wrecked my ego and my sense of self-satisfaction and rose up something in my life that I just look at and I'm like, it's only God could do it. I would say he gave me, he took a heart of stone and gave me a heart that beats. I didn't have words that said, I'm for the unchurched. I just am, whether or not people like it. Because God put that in my heart. When I look at this and when I see this, I go, okay, so how do we apply this to our life? When we encounter imagery, don't get distracted 
from the message. Always stick to the message. And the heart of the message of Scripture is singular. That you who are sinful and me who are sinful are being called back to a loving God even if he has to make a way through the blood of his own son. How good and gracious is our God to speak a prophetic word, sometimes an alarmingly vivid image to get our attention, to keep us from going off the cliff. Church, I implore you. I implore you to take some time and listen to the message of the gospel in these prophecies and recognize what God's doing is calling back to himself those who are far from God, calling back to himself those whom he loves, which is everyone, those who bear his image, which is all of us. He's calling us home. And yes, he uses imagery, but the message has never changed. Pray with me. God, thank you for who you are and the way you work in our lives. Thank you for being a God who loves and um, served us when we didn't deserve it. So today, God, we just tune out all the other stuff. We tune it all out, and we tune our hearts into you, and we ask, come, Lord Jesus, speak to us a new word that allows us to live fully alive in you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you for speaking a word over us that causes us to step out of the comfortable known of religion and out onto the wild and untamed waters of faith where you transform us and give us a heart that is soft and, and formable. That you raise up the dry bones of our life to live a nimble and fully alive life in you. That you give us a new birth in Christ Jesus that we may fully live into this new life. Come, Lord Jesus, we desire to live a life out on the edge of faith. Just invite us, Lord, and show us the next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Let's sing together. Maybe you're living in that place where you're just tired of being a religious relic, where there's no heartbeat in your faith, and you're like, oh, I just need someone to pray with me. Or you're just flat out dead. You're a valley of dry bones, and there's nothing left, and there's no hope. Don't ever say that in the Christian faith. We serve a God who makes the dry bones rattle. He raises up the dead, and I invite you today, friends, if you need a rebirth, if you need to experience the goodness of God, don't neglect it. We have two prayer stations up here. Would love to pray with you after the service. We would love that. Please don't hesitate to come down after the service. But for those of you out there who are just going to grab devotions and go into it, I want to invite you this week. I want to invite you to hold on to the message that God is always declaring that the impossible isn't so with him. Go live in the confidence that God is raising up in your life a very image of Christ. Live in courageous obedience to what he calls you to. And go and serve so that the world beyond these walls will know and experience the goodness of God. He's not just calling us home, he's calling them, and he's using us to do it. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If I'm not mistaken, that might be sunshine coming from the outside. You should go out there and get into it quick. It's going to go away. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions. Beating God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next week.